Hey, I'm going to go into the Word, um, um, switching gears this morning. So this morning, um, oh my gosh, I just touched this thing accidentally again. So uh, this morning, we are going to be changing gears. And so um, as I always do when I begin a new series, I start with the theology behind what we're going to be talking about. So um, today, it might seem a little slow or cranial, but I need you to pay close, close, close attention to what I'm going to be sharing with you because I'm going to be laying foundation for just going deeper into the Word of God. So I need you all to be attentive. Um, if you need um, copies of the slides that's going to be on the, the screen, I think it's important enough to get out to you for you to review. So we'll figure out how to get that out. Oh, if you get the app. Yeah, there you go. Get the church app. We'll put a link on there to download it. And then you can get those slides because I'll be speaking from those things throughout the entirety of the series. And there's just going to be some important theological foundations that I need to lay down that I am, it's continually being revealed to me the more I dig into this thing, right? So um, be in prayer with that. Listen carefully. Um, uh, I'm just going to be giving you a lot of information this morning. I'll try my best to make it succinct and simplify it as much as possible. But theology is important. And what theology is, for those that might not know, it's just the study of God or what's God's heart or what God has to say about the subject matter that we're going to be talking about. Amen? You guys all right? Oh, Y'all sound nervous. Y'all all right? Okay, time to change some things. Amen? So here's the introduction to my message. There is a video. I need you to put your eyes on the screen. It's not a short video. Um, so don't eat no popcorn. Um, <laughs> and then I'll come back and we'll talk. All right? So this video just lays, um, give the screen your attention as it kind of sets some foundation. Yeah. Can I be real, be real, real, be real, real, son? Can I be real, real? Be real, real, son. Stop inviting people to your church, man. Can y'all please stop inviting people to your church? I get it. I get the heart behind it, but stop. I'm not even saying like it's always a bad thing to invite somebody to your church, but we use it like it's a go-to line. Man, you really need to come to my church because, you know, praise and worship is real good. Has to be going in. <laughs> Ushers. You try to get married, right? And we act like our church is the only church in the world that know what they're talking about. Like, you're not going to get this anywhere else. Like, you got to come to this church. Not only that, we act like inviting people to our church is what it means to make disciples. Have you brought your coworker to church yet? Well, all right, you're not witnessing then. You're not, you ain't a witness. Guess what? <laughs> it's not. It's, it's not. It really isn't. In the first chapter of the Gospel of John, we are introduced to the man, John the Baptist. Not to be confused with the John that wrote the book of John, but John the Baptist, two different people. John the Baptist is preaching about the coming of Jesus, and he's hyping Jesus up. Like, y'all think I'm something. Nah, Jesus is something. Jesus is amazing. So amazing that I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. Not tie them, but untie them. You ever try to tie somebody else's shoes? It's not always the same. It's kind of awkward. But untying them, it's pretty simple. John is saying, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And then when Jesus shows up, he's like, yo, that's, that's Jesus. That's, that's the Lamb of God. That's the man I've been talking about. And two of the disciples that had been following John heard him say this and began to follow Jesus. Jesus says to them, what are you seeking? And they respond to his question with a question. Where are you staying? They didn't ask, hey, Jesus, what synagogues are you teaching at? Is there a youth conference coming up that you might be attending soon? Are you going to have a concert where you perform miracles? 
Because if so, I'd like to bring some friends with me. Do you have some cool videos I can watch on YouTube? They asked, where are you staying? Where do you live? And Jesus is not even put off by this. Like, it doesn't bother him at all. He didn't say, hold on, y'all. I don't, I don't know y'all like that. I just met y'all like two seconds ago. Don't be asking me where I stay. Just meet me at the synagogue this weekend. That's where I'll be, okay? Maybe we can schedule a weekly Torah study over at Starbucks. Because y'all are doing too much. No, Jesus responds, come and you will see. And this was the beginning of a three-year journey. Doesn't that sound a little bit different than what we thought making disciples looked like? It seems to Jesus that making disciples involves sharing your life with someone. Jesus was probably already gonna go home later on anyway, and he says, Yo, why don't y'all come with me? Saying to them, come and you will see, not come to my church and you'll listen. Again, this is not always necessarily a bad thing, but when it comes to sharing our faith in Jesus with others, our first knee-jerk reaction shouldn't be to invite them to our church. Rather, maybe it looks like, hey man, let's keep connecting. Let's, let's link up, come to the house, let's have dinner. Let's get some coffee, let's go to the basketball court. Let's do things that we're already normally doing. From there, you'll find many opportunities to verbally share your faith with them and allow them to see your faith played out in everyday life. Come and see is the primary model for making disciples, not come and listen. The gospel is an actual message that must be spoken or read, not just a lifestyle. But these two disciples show us something that all of us, and even those that are outside of the Christian faith, may be desiring. We want to see something authentic. I heard John talking about this faith in Jesus, and I'm interested to listen, but I, I want to see something. And Jesus says, come, come and you'll see. We're so caught up with church membership numbers that we think that making disciples is synonymous with that. Though I do think that church growth is a byproduct of making disciples, it's not necessarily the same thing. God says, I will build my church and you, you go and make disciples. Grace and peace, man. Wow. Yeah. Wow. All righty. I don't think you're going to be clapping at the end of the series. You're going to be making disciples. <laughs> Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, we need to be radical disciples. I'm going to tell the other neighbor, say, other neighbor, we need to become radical disciples, say, for Christ. Amen. Go to the book of Matthew chapter 8 and jump down to uh, verse 18. The book of Matthew chapter 8. And jump down to verse 18. I'm going to read and then um, we're going to be talking through what this is saying. Uh, amen. And allow God to be God in our midst. Yeah. Oh, bless the Lord. Good, good. If you guys are there, say Amen. Amen. And let me move. I'm going to be moving pretty quick because I want you all to grab the gist of what we're going to say. And we're not going to rush it. We'll take some time to review in case we don't get it all or have to come back to that next week. Verse eight says, 18 says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. A scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Wow, some harsh stuff. 
I want to take a moment today, as I stated, just to lay a brief foundation on what it means to become a disciple, to make disciples, uh, because I believe that God has called us to be different. He's called the church to be different. So I have just a few um, slides that I want to walk you through so we can get to where God would have us to go. Amen. Uh, this is not moving, so if you got, okay, there we go, okay. Now, I want to begin with what I'm going to refer to as a biblical history of discipleship and talk through these three sub-points as it relates to us understanding what it means to be a disciple or a true disciple of Christ. Number one, I need you all to repeat after me. Say, I am called, I am called. to be in relationship with God. Yeah, one more time. Say, I am called to be in relationship with God. Now, here's something that I'm going to be saying over and over and over again, and I'm praying throughout the entirety of the time that I'm up in front of you for the next few weeks sharing about what it means to be a radical disciple. God's goal is to walk with us and us walk with Him. Come on, say amen. I want you all to hear me say that. His goal is to walk with us and us to walk with with him. And I'm even going to go as far as to say that the way God intended that the world experience and or encounter his presence in the earth is that when people in the earth encounter you, they see God. Amen. Process that for a little while. So here's what that means. If you were to go through the Bible, even when you begin um, with the process of the Old Testament dealing with the children of Israel, here's what you'll hear God saying throughout the canon of Scripture in the Old Testament. He said to the Israelites, I will be your God and you will be my people. Then when that translates or transfers over to the New Testament, we hear him saying in the New Testament, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And what that seems to imply and say to us over and over again is God wants a joint partnership. God wants a relationship with us. He wants to be the God or the only God that we serve, and he wants to be our provider, our, the person who cares for us, the person who, who just supplies every need that we may have in the earth realm. So when you look at the children of Israel in the Old Testament as it relates to their relationship with God, even though God may, it seems as if God had come to individuals at the time, namely Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the goal of God with the Israelites was that he take a select group of people and teach them what it means to walk with him and what it means to be in relationship with him such that he is their God and they are his people. The intent of God was this with the Israelites, that as they go about living life in the earth realm, the world would see them and they would be so jealous of how God provides for them that when they saw that love relationship, they would be drawn into a relationship with God. That was the design of God. That was the heart of God. So he selected them to be his people. And we all know how that story went. We're going to talk about that in a little while. They strayed. He would do different things to them to bring them back. But he chose them to be the model of what it means in the Old Testament to be disciples of God in the Old Testament era. A group of people that walk with God. A group of people that followed God. A group of people that obeyed God. So when you get to the New Testament, don't, we, we switch gears a little bit in that it is not so much 
a theocratic form of rulership. But here's what happens in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God would walk with his people from a distance every now and then. His spirit would come and be with them. So here's what happens in the New Testament. Jesus now comes on the scene. And here's the important statement that I need to hear you, um, make sure that you hear me say. Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus showing up on the scene is God himself becoming flesh, dwelling with his people. Very, very important statement. Because here's how Matthew said it in Matthew chapter 1. He says, a virgin shall be with child, and she shall conceive and give birth to a son. And you will call his name, here's what he says, Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So what happens in the New Testament when Jesus comes, here, here we see, you, you see this person in the flesh, but here's what he would say to people that would question who he was, I and my Father are one. So you need to hear this literally, God walking on earth with 12 men teaching them physically what it means to walk with God. Oh my gosh, that's powerful. That's some heavy stuff, right? God incarnated, modeling, and I'm going to use the word discipleship for these 12 individuals so they can see what it means to walk with God. Now, the third one talk about the same thing with God's call now manifested in the people now following him. Here is where this translates to you and I. When Jesus left the earth, here is what he says. I am going to my Father in John chapter 14, and my Father will not leave you as orphans. So what that means is that God now, even though he came in flesh, incarnated himself and walked amongst you, he's not leaving you alone. He's going away to the Father, and the Father now will send another comforter who will be with you. And then I love this phrase in John chapter 14. He will be, I need somebody to say that. He will be where? I need y'all to say like you're, he will be where? So this is deep, this is deep, because unlike the Old Testament where a transcendent God resided in heaven and would allow his presence to come down every now and then, and in the gospel where an eminent God walked with his people in the epistle, now on this transcendent yet eminent God is not outside, I wish I had, I can't even get it right. He's not outside of me. Oh, I need somebody to hear this. He is where? Yeah! And that means something. That means something. That means something. Because what this is saying theologically, the God that I worship, he's not above me. <laughs> he's not outside of me. Come on now. Yeah. Oh, folk, well, when we were coming up in Sunday school, we used to sing the song, I've got a joy, 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 joy. Oh, y'all know it? Really? Okay, yeah, yeah. Where? Down in my heart. Yeah, come on, what else? Down in my heart. I've got a joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And then it said, down in my heart, what? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, see the theology that was implied in a lot of the songs that we would sing. So what that is saying, God's intent was that he called us. He wants to be in relationship with us. And he wants so much to be in relationship with us that he comes and he takes up residence on the inside. Oh, my goodness. That's some heavy stuff. That's some heavy, heavy stuff that I want us to not miss and walk through. So what does that mean? 
is that God's goal then is that we become disciples of Christ. So now, let me, let me say this carefully. So here's what this means. The goal of discipleship, or the primary goal of discipleship, is to become like who? Come on, the primary goal of discipleship is to become like who? Now, don't miss who Jesus is, okay? Jesus is God incarnate. So everything that we saw Jesus did on the earth, walking around as God, the goal of the, being a disciple is that I ought to be able to do the same thing. That's why I like the little brother on the screen. It's not so much about inviting people to church. It's getting 12 folk and walking with them. Oh, y'all missed that. Y'all missed that. You missed that. You missed it. 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 So my goal is to become like Jesus. And, and, what, and he brings his disciples into intimate relationship with Christ. I, 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 let, let me use a term you can identify with. He wants us to shack up with him. Let me go deeper. Then he wants you to marry him. Y'all can understand that. All right? Yeah. He's living in the house with you. Come on, y'all. He's living in the house with you. And that's really what he wants. That's the goal. That's the goal or the intent of discipleship. So here's what he says in Matthew chapter 28, right? He comes up with this thing now as it relates to call the Great Commission. And he says, through the Great Commission, Jesus focuses his followers on the ongoing importance of making disciples, okay, and declares the responsibility of these disciples toward the world that they are to make disciples not only of their own house, but of their own nations, right? Okay, so discipleship is not only about me. Well, let me go here. Let me go here. Let me say this, and I'll flesh it out a little bit later on. You haven't become a disciple until you've made another disciple, There's a lot of, uh, that, that was a subtle punch, but I'll say it again in English. <laughs> you haven't become a disciple until you've made another disciple. Let me tell you what that means the other way around. If you haven't led anybody to Christ yet, I don't got real quiet. <laughs> right? In other words, who's following you? All right? So very, very important. So we're going to talk through this. I want you all to hear me say this, then I'll give you some biblical example. So the definition of discipleship is this. It's the process of devoting oneself to a teacher to learn from and become more like them. The process of discipleship means it's the process of devoting oneself to a teacher to learn from and become more like them. So if I am a disciple of Christ, guess who I ought to look like? Yeah, you kind of get it. There you go. There you go. So that, that's what discipleship means. We'll take some time to talk through that a little later on. So for the Christian, here's what this means for the Christian, okay? For the Christian, this refers to the process of learning the teaching of Jesus, following after his example in obedience to the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, this, what's underlined is very, very important. Discipleship not only involves the process of becoming a disciple, but of making other disciples through teaching and evangelism, okay? So I'm called not only to become, but I have an obligation to make disciples. Come on, say make disciples. disciples. Say it again, say make disciples. disciples. I'm going to move quick. So let me give you some Old Testament. When we look through the Old Testament and, and you see the words that were used in the Old Testament as it relates to how that message 
was being taught throughout the entire canon of Scripture, and we don't have time to look at all the scriptural references. I just want to lay some foundations. Wednesday, we'll flesh that out even more. I want to show you that throughout the Bible, God has been talking about the importance of making disciples. That's not just a New Testament that came up in Matthew chapter 28, okay? So here you have this Hebrew word, yasar, right? And here's what yasar means. It means to disciple and it refers to the act of correcting or even punishing wrong behavior. Now, I'm going to talk about, here, here, here's the reason um, you guys don't do this anymore. I still do. Let's beat your kids. <laughs> I need to be careful. We might have social workers in here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can't beat them. I can, please. And here's the, reason, here's the reason we would spank our children. We would correct the bad behavior so they could learn what? Good behavior. Come on, that's right. We would correct the bad behavior so they could learn the what? Good behavior. So when the Hebrew word yasar is used, what the word implies, it talks about discipline or instruct. So here's what you would see throughout the, the, the Scriptures in the Old Testament. God would always discipline His people when they would go astray. Right? So here's what would happen when they disobey him. Let me, let me use the word that will keep me alive. When they stopped walking with him and start following the ways of the other God, he would yasar them. Yeah. He would discipline them and he would instruct them, not because he dislikes them, but because he wants them to walk in the right way and to do what? The right thing. So discipline and instruction, and the reason for the discipline and instruction is to change the behavior so they could look like him. Come on, does this make sense? Okay? Very, very important. Let me walk through these words. Four words I want to share real quick. Here's another word, musar. The same type things like yasar, right? Discipline, chastening. Once again, it may have some negative connotation in it, but there's a positive outcome because it's used in an act of correcting or punishment for wrongdoing with the intent, once again, of change behavior. You guys get the message now, right? With the intent of change behavior. The goal is to change the behavior so we can become like Christ. Let me keep going here. Um, here's another word. Now, this word is very, very interesting. It's the Hebrew word lamad, and what it means is to learn or to teach and it refers to the act of teaching or training another in a skill or concept. So here's what the Old Testament um, rabbis or prophets or leaders of, um, of, of the synagogues would do in the Old Testament. They would lamad their people or they would teach their people or they would instruct them in the correct, the correct ways. Listen to this again. So they're what? behaviors can change so they could look like the God that they worship. Does this make sense, guys? Are you guys tracking with me? Come on, say lemad. Come on, say it again. Say lemad. Now, this one is interesting. This is the word lemud, and what it speaks to in the Old Testament speaks to taught, to teach. It's an adjective, and it describes the one who is receiving the teaching. This is important. If I am sitting in class, Lamud would refer to me as the student. Lamad would refer to the instructor that's teaching the student. Now, the reason this is important, if you were to do some research on this word in the Old Testament, this is the only word that's translated disciple in the Old Testament. So, as a student, if I'm being taught 
and receiving instruction. I am a disciple. I am being discipled to change my behavior so I could look like the one who's teaching me. You guys are tracking with me, right? Very, very important words. Simple stuff, but I want y'all to get this. I want y'all to get this. Now, as we move over to the New Testament, I want, I, I, this word, I love it so much because I want everybody to learn it. Come on, say, my faith is. Say it again. Say, my faith is. You got to like you can bite your tongue. My faith is. Yeah, good. This is the word, this is the word that, that speaks of a disciple or a learner. Jesus' disciples, they would refer to them as mathetes, okay? And it's used of a person who follows after another and seeks to learn from another. So in the New Testament, um, lemud changes to mathetes, which is the Greek word to speak of a person now that is learning or being instructed in the ways of. So watch this. In the Old Testament, God used the prophets, the teachers, let me even go as far as to say scribes and Pharisees, to lamad the lamud. I'll explain. I'll explain. Y'all try with me. He would use them to teach the ones that are being taught. In the New Testament, God incarnates himself into flesh. Oh, my gosh. And he comes down, he himself. Yeah, y'all getting it, y'all getting it, y'all getting it. And he picks 12 mathetes, and he instructs them on what it means to look like him. Now, the reason I know that worked is because today you and I are in church because of what those 12 men learned you kind of get what I'm saying. So the question for us today as a church is when we leave the scene, who are we discipling? Let me, let me help you out. Let me help you out. Because now remember with me in the New Testament now, he leaves. He sends his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit lives where? In me. So now I am supposed to look like Christ in the world, and I am supposed to be the teacher. And I have to ask myself, who are my mathetes? that I am, are y'all not hearing me, y'all not hearing me, that I am discipling to keep the Word of God going forth. You guys all right? Come on, say we getting it, preacher. If you're not getting it, just come out on Wednesday. We'll, do, we'll go through it again. Okay, very, very important. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. So, mathetheo, that word means to go make disciples. Okay, I won't do much with this because we'll talk about it, okay? It's used to indicate the action of causing another to become a disciple. So what am I doing to cause others? What are you doing to cause others disciples? So in Matthew 28, when he says, go and make disciples, this is the word that's used to say, make disciples. I'll explain that. I'll talk about that a little more. Here's another word, paiduo, and what it means is to educate or to describe the process of instructing someone to adopt to a certain way of life. Isn't, do you see this recurring theme? Change behavior. You see the recurring theme? Change behavior. All the instructions are for change behavior. All the instructions are given so we can look like the teacher, we can look like the master, we can look like God. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. Then um, look, at, look at this uh, next word. Look at this next one, if I can get it to, to change. Okay, there we go, this one. So this is a very, very important word, okay? Um, the word kind of speaks about to follow, okay? And figuratively, it refers to the process of following someone as a disciple. Now, the reason I like this word, 
and I think this word is very, very important, is because this is the word that's used in the narrative that's in front of us today. So, so here, here, here's what it says. I learn by looking, I learn by doing, and most of all, I learn by following. You guys are tracking with me. Come on, say, I learn by following. Say it again. Say, I learn by following. Now, look with me at Matthew chapter 8, and then we're going to talk to this. Very, very important that I want you to see. And before I go there, let me read this one slide, then we're going to read the text. So, theologically, discipleship fundamentally involves all of one's being, not just the mind or intellect. All of the biblical terms used to convey the concept of discipleship involves more than just academic engagement. So here's how he says it in one passage. Be not only hearers of the word, but what? Right. A lot of us, here's my problem with Christianity. A lot of us have heard so much word. You see what she said? She said, spiritually constipated. Lord have mercy. Yeah. Whole lot of stuff going in and nothing coming out. <laughs> yeah, she said it. I didn't say it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so, God wants a relationship with me. So, a relationship is not only spoken, it is what? Lived out. Okay, this is the problem with earthly relationships. You don't understand that concept. So if all I did to Katani was say to her, girl, you know I love you. You know I love you, girl. You know I love you. You know I love you. You know I love you. But I never demonstrate my love. Do I really love her? Right? Here's what we say. God, you know I love you. You know I love you. You know I love you. Heck, see that song I sang to you this morning? I raised my hand to you. You know I love you. But if we don't look like him, <laughs> it raises the issue of do we really love him, right? So Matthew chapter 8, the short version because I'm out of time. Jesus was ministering. He was going about healing the sick, doing all these miracles, doing all this phenomenal thing. Um, in today's co context, he, had, he was conducting revival wherever he went. Y'all remember revivals? Okay? I mean, he was going around preaching, and, and when he gave altar calls, man, folk was responded, and they were coming to relationship like it was nobody's business, right? And so in this text now, one somebody came to a relationship with him, okay? So now let's read. So verse 18 picks up by saying, when Jesus saw the crowd, meaning that, the, I mean, people were coming out like crazy, he gave orders to the disciples, I'm putting that word in there to go to the other side. And then look at verse 19, and a scribe came up to him. Now, now here's what you don't, don't do this to the scribe. Most of us would know scribes to be enemies of God or they would be antagonistic to the teachings that he was doing. What this author is trying to nuance within the way the word is spoken and interpreted and what's said, this one somebody gave their heart to God. So he came up to him and he says, listen to the word. Let me read. He came up to Jesus and said to him, teacher, I want to do what? Follow you wherever you go. 
the last Greek word we had on the screen, right? I want to learn from you by following you wherever you go. In other words, don't go in this boat and leave me here with these bunch of unsaved people. I just gave my heart. I can't go back to the synagogue and teach that old stuff because I haven't seen something new. I have a fresh relationship with you. So watch this. I now want to become a mathetes. I want to be a disciple. You get what I'm saying? Watch Jesus' response, and I'm going to share this next one. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, he says, has nowhere to do what? Lay down his head. Two points I want to share that I'm going to flesh it out. Number one, following Christ demands total sacrifice of one's life to gain the kingdom. Okay, so here's what Jesus is trying to communicate to this man. To really be a follower or a disciple, I'm going to use this word twice. I'll use it here. Your priority must be God. Okay, and when, here's the problem with making your priority God. It'll cause you to give up a lot of things so I can be number one. So here's what he says. Now, not in the literal sense that Jesus probably had no place to stay. I mean, if you do the work, he lived probably with some of the disciples. He had a home. His mom and dad had a home. They had a place of residence. But the point that he's making, there is nothing on the face of the earth that ought to take priority as it relates to you following me if you really know who I am and you want to be my true disciple. This is hard stuff, so here's what it looks like. Let me give you this quick illustration, then I'm going to move on. You wonder why some people can sell their homes, give up their jobs, and go to a foreign place and be a missionary for God and live off nothing? I think you get it now. I think you get it now. You kind of get what I'm saying? And, and, and let me say this because I don't want nobody to misinterpret what I'm saying. God is not necessarily calling you or calling me to live a life of poverty, to be a disciple, but he is calling us to make him number one. To make him number one. Repeat that to me. Say, God must be number one. Everybody say it again. Someone say, God must be number one. I'll flesh that out next week because we don't have time to, do, to, to deal with this. Now, look at this. Look at number one. Look at number two. Another of his mathetes. Okay? Now, this is important. This is important. This is important because here's what I want you to see in the text. This guy didn't just get saved. The scribe wanted to become a disciple. This person was already, yeah. That means he'd been walking for a while. Y'all don't want to hear this. Y'all want to hear this. Now, what I love about the text, it doesn't say how long he's been walking. We know it couldn't have been more than three years because Jesus had just started his public ministry. But fact of the matter is, he'd had some experience with Jesus. Come on. He'd seen some miracle. I'm, I'm venturing to say he might have been at the place when the 5,000 were fed. He might have collected the basket, meaning he might have served at an usher at one point in time. Come on. He might have served at altar ministry, laying hands when the altar called. I want y'all to walk with me this morning when ministry was given. He was already a disciple. Something happened. And here's what he said. Lord, 
Let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, here's the interesting word again. Follow me and leave the dead to bury the dead. Harsh. Harsh. Come on, y'all. Let's agree. Harsh. Okay. Because there's Old Testament laws that says the scribes and the Jews had obligation to take care of the dead. Harsh. 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 What is Jesus saying? Okay. So here is the big idea that I want you all to take away this morning. Discipleship is costly. It's costly. It demands total what? Of other what? To make Jesus what? Absolute priority in our what? So here's what I came to tell you this morning. Discipleship is not cheap. Let me sing this song, then I'll make the statement. I've been running for Jesus a long, long time, and I'm not. If you get tired, you're not fit. It's harsh. It's harsh. It's harsh. It's harsh. It's harsh. It's harsh. I get it. I get it. But the point that Jesus is saying is that we have to give up all allegiances to anything to be a disciple because that's how serious he takes revolutionizing the world. Now, I need to make this caveat because somebody's going to misinterpret what I'm saying, okay? You remember the commercial, right? Following Jesus doesn't mean I'm committed to church. I'm committed to to God. Very, very important. Very, very important. Because here's what we interpret discipleship as, going to church. You kind of get what I'm saying? And we feel because I came to church, because I invited people to church, because I came and worshiped, all that stuff, that I am a disciple and I am making a disciple. No, 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 no. Discipleship implies making other disciples. You kind of get what I'm saying? And the point is this. We cannot get tired in doing the work of God, which is making disciples. Right? I know, I know, and I'm done. Come on, worship team. I know, come on, Pastor K. I know men and women of God that have served God for 40, 50 years, and in their retirement, they simply change the assignment. But they're still making disciples. Very, very important. Very, very important. And I know you're confused. You're wondering what that means and what that looks like. We're going to spend time fleshing this out, okay? Because as a church, as a pastor, as a leader, as members of the body of Christ, we are called to be disciples. And in being disciples, we have an obligation to make disciples. Does this make sense? You kind of get what I'm saying? Okay. Here's the beauty of what you and I have. God is not outside, but he is where? Yeah, 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 yeah. So when the flesh, here's, here's what one scripture says. The spirit is willing. Yeah, there you go. There you get it. When the flesh gets tired, the God on the inside juices me up and motivates me to press on, to keep going, right? So I want to lay this foundation. We're going to talk about this a lot more in the upcoming weeks and, and probably revisit this text. But I want us to, to walk out of here knowing that I have a call. I have a call. I have an obligation 
to be a radical disciple for Christ. Nobody living around me ought not know that I know God. Nobody working around me ought not know that I don't know God. Nobody playing with me should not know that I don't know God because I want to become radical for Christ. Such that I want my relationship with God when I think of Paul and I think of Peter and I think of those New Testament saints so sold out that if it means going to jail for God, I'm not going to sell out. I think that's what God calls us to do. Are we ready to be that radical for him? Are we ready to be that radical? Bow your heads with me. Here's what we can do, a moment of self-reflection, self-evaluation. Process your own heart. How sold out have you been to God? What is God saying to you? What is God doing in you? How is God shaping? How is God molding? And you allow God to speak to you. Take a moment in prayer.